Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Back to Basics. Please join me in welcoming James Rousseau to the show today. James is the CEO of the CoreLink Solution, a nonprofit organization focused on revitalizing communities by empowering people to reach their potential. I'm so excited about this. He serves on the debris board of trustees, works with Think Human to help client partners and teams achieve transformational results, and he's also the author of Success on Your Own Terms, Six Promises to Fire Up Your Passion, Ignite Your Career, and Create an Amazing Life. And I could read so much more about his bio, but I'm going to stop there and welcome James. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited because, you know, every time you bump into someone that's an extremely successful uh, business person, entrepreneur, leader, and uh, has this uh, human quality to it, and now a, a whole purpose around helping people achieve their potential, I get really, really excited. So thank you so much for accepting the invitation to be on. Absolutely. Again, thank you. And there's so much we can talk about. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to get right through it. I want to know who James was as a little boy, what you were passionate about, and, and just to see if anything that you enjoy doing back then is what you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Um, so I grew up in uh, Philadelphia, North Philadelphia. Um, my parents tell me I was one of the first in our overall family born in the North. My, my father was from Georgia, I'm sorry, South Carolina. My mother was from Florida. And uh, while pregnant, they moved to Philadelphia. Okay. I still don't know why, they never really. <laughs> <laughs> so I was raised in North Philadelphia. And uh, I was really at, at a younger age, passionate about music and sports. I mean, I just loved uh, sports, wanted to play football, was a fullback and tight end. Um, unfortunately I hurt my knee, um, doing high school sports, but I was also really passionate about music. I grew up playing, uh, a bunch of different instruments, like in almost any brass instrument, you know, uh, trombone, uh, clarinet, trumpet, things like that. Um, and then so funny <laughs> trumpet got stolen. No way. Uh, yeah. Out of my uncle's trunk. I forgot about this. Trumpet got stolen one year <laughs> and it was when, you know, rap music was becoming popular and I wanted to be a DJ. So when he got the insurance money, I took that insurance money and combined it with some money from a school job. And my mother had gotten to a point where she was no longer going to finance my habits. She <laughs> said, you know, I would switch you know, hobbies like, you know, every three weeks in her mind. So she still like, got to finance your own hobbies. <laughs> and I was so mad at the time, but it turned out to be one of the best things that she could ever have done, right? Because it taught me the principle of investing in yourself. So I got a summer job through the uh, Nice Town Boys and Girls Club. I would say shout out to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America because they taught me the valuable lesson of getting a job. And through that job, got my first set of turntables, right? I, well, worked the whole summer to buy a turntable because they were so expensive. And I started becoming a DJ. Oh, okay. And, uh, loved, loved, loved being a DJ, right? Packing crates of 
records in my car and going and doing these parties and putting together uh, groups of rappers who could do little skits and songs and things like that. Um, and that's what I did in my youth. I, that's what I love doing. Wow, I love that. I love um, how you turn it. You could tell you were already an entrepreneur in business because you turned your passion already at a young age into something <laughs> that, that made money. Yeah. And then did you know from DJing, did you know what you wanted to study? Because, I mean, we're going to get to it, but you went on to work for some major companies like JP Chase Morgan and, and Allstate Insurance. I mean, big names. How did you get into the corporate world? Yeah. So it, it's interesting. So, um, during that journey, I, um, you know, I wanted to do music. I was following that passion for a while and I would always get to these different opportunities that just would never totally crack through. I would get to different record deals. We had a, a record come out during my sophomore or junior year of high school, but it never broke big. I had different production opportunities producing for people and finally got to a point. It's like, okay, you, you, you do need to continue with your education And uh, I went to was going to go to be a communications major because I wanted to get I wanted to do radio. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a communicator, wanted to do radio. And um, you have a great voice for radio. I, let me just stop you there and say this. You sound great. I always <laughs> had this dream of doing a, a syndicated radio show and all those things. And, uh, and uh, my English teacher, I think, had challenged us to go interview someone who you thought you wanted to pattern yourself after following your career in their footsteps. And at that time in Philadelphia, it was Doug Henderson on WDAS. And I went and interviewed Doug. He was so gracious, gave me probably an hour of his time and just like gave me all these gems and so on and so forth. And so I went to go to Temple. And uh, at that time, I went to Temple for a day, Letitia, if you believe it or not, because my financial aid didn't come through. And they had to walk me out and said, look, your financial aid didn't come through. My mom was right in between that sliver of making too much to get grants, but not enough to get the financial aid. And so I was booted. And so I went to uh -huh. community, um, Computer Learning Center to be a programmer. It felt like it made sense. I also had this technology thing about me. I always loved tech. And uh, with that, I just started working. And I worked at a company called Today's Man initially as a security guard. I was working these odd end jobs. And... Um, a guy took an interest in me in a store uh, at Today's Man and said, hey, you know, I think you should be in corporate. And he got me into corporate in a couple weeks and put me in like oh. accounts payable. And from accounts payable, I went to like accounts receivable, from accounts receivable to payroll. And then in payroll, I got became a part of like this users group and started networking outside the company as well. And one thing led to another And I went to another company called Wilmington Savings Fund Society as their head of payroll and kind of HR systems. And I did that for three years and then uh, went and did uh, a consultant gig, a company called Transaction Information Systems to do PeopleSoft installations. And then that's what then led me to, to Chase. Chase wanted to do a big conversion from a Genesis system to PeopleSoft and said, we need a guy who knows payroll and systems. And that led me into the door. And I still didn't have my undergraduate degree, by the way, but it was like a vice president role. And I, wow. I went there in um, January of 2000. I'll never forget because I was going to accept a job at ADP to be a systems guy at ADP, had accepted the job. And, <laughs> and, and, and Chase called me and said, hey, got this gig. And I said, well, I got a job already. He said, well, if you had a job already, there's nothing to be lost by having a conversation with us. Why don't you jump on the train, come up to New York, have the conversation. I did it, got on the train, when I met this woman named Lisa Neal Graves, who to this day I still love because Lisa was just such a great mentor. And um, next thing you know, I took the gig. And um, so I'm taking a train, Letitia, to New York every day from Philly. 
two wow. hours plus up, two, pl- two hours plus back, oh. uh, doing a conversion. So you know how it is when you're doing systems conversions. Those are long days. Oh, yeah. You're not sleeping Ooh. at all. Um, so at one point, they just gave me an apartment, like Battery Park. <laughs> and I just, not bad. <laughs> yeah, gave me a you know nice apartment and a, uh, you know, a, uh, a budget, a spending budget and whatever. And then right as we're finishing the conversion, they announced a merger between Chase and JP Morgan. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I had never been through a merger before. I had no idea what to expect. And um, so goes learning that. And then I go back to school to get my undergraduate, by the way. And uh, the same year I finished my undergraduate, I get promoted to senior vice president. And I think I was told, you know, one of the youngest ever senior VPs in the company, which was, you know, just exciting and humbling and so excited to finish my undergrad and uh, just continue my career there in financial services. Really loved my career at J.P. Morgan Chase. Had so many great people I had learned from and met. Just a lot of great mentors and sponsors, quite honestly, during my journey. Wow, that is amazing. And I want to, you know, like pause here a moment because I hear so many people, you know, labeling themselves like, oh, you're never going to get... Uh, anywhere without an undergraduate degree, because we all agree you should, you know, I'm a mom. So I, of course, push that envelope. But I think it's so much about attitude in all your story. I'm pretty sure I could envision the young you like being very hands on 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 what you were doing because of what you described and really how you grew your career without having the traditional, you know, like a path set up yet. Yeah. yeah, sure. You went back and you kept growing, but it's amazing because I think people say, oh, that's never going to happen because I don't have this or I I don't have that. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And I think, you know, there were times during that journey where you go, listen, um, I, I don't have this. Did I doubt myself at times? Absolutely. Right. Do I feel like, you know, I don't know what I don't know. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, there were times. And I think, you know, if I'm honest, <laughs> there was Something in there that also fueled that. And, and you know, I'll, I'll go there for a minute. You know, during my, I think it was my senior year of high school, a year or two before that, my mother and my father got divorced. And I had grown up with this belief that my father never really approved me, right? I just never felt validated by him. It felt like if I got like a 90 on a test, it was like, why not a 95, right? Never heard the applause versus the criticism. At least that's mm-hmm. how I felt then. And then when they got divorced, I went to live with him for a while, right? And so still seeking that validation. And then one day, Letitia, literally one day I come home from school, he doesn't come home. Uh, a day goes by, he doesn't come home. And it's me and my grandmother and him living together. And after three days or so, he doesn't come home. It's like, well, what's going on? So I drop out of school. This is my uh, first semester of senior year of high school. I am working an after school job. I figure, listen, we still got to pay bills and whatnot. Maybe I can do more hours of an after school job, take care of the house. Well, I fail at that, right? I'm never going to make enough money to take care of all those things. Eventually, I, you know, I call my mom. We send my grandmother back down south where she's from. I move back in with my mother, but we never, we don't find my father for a while. Months go by. Oh. I find my father. Unfortunately, he is in a drug rehab. He is in a better state. But then, so I'm seeing him for a while and I'm still this kid (laughs) looking for his validation, even though all that has taken place. And then he disappears again. Now, at this point, Mm. I'm working at like the Four Seasons Hotel. I'm going to Computer Learning Center, like I had told you about. Months go by and he's reconnected again through someone, but he's now in New York City, staying in like a YMCA in some little room 
It's probably like a five by five with a hot plate. And I go up to New York City to see him and he's in worse condition. And then he disappears again for months. And I get a letter uh, or call from a nun who says, I think this is your father in this hospital in New York. And so I go up to see him. At this point, I have my son and my son. I want him to see my son. I get to the hospital. Like, you can't take your son up to the floor. Hmm. Okay. Go up to the floor, get off on the floor. And they, um, they tell me to put on these gloves before I go into the room, go into the room. And, you know, a guy who was my size has now shriveled into, I don't know, two thirds of the man that I had always known. He had contracted AIDS. And wow. it was just devastating. And I remember giving, getting him a meal. He, he joked and said, you know, this hospital food's horrible. Go get me some, uh, he was from the South. Go get me some hogmog. Go get me some <laughs> Jamaican food or some good food. Uh, and I did. And then I, I vowed to come back and see him before I can come back and see him again. He passed away. So my mom was gracious. Wow. She helped me plan all the funeral and arrangements and all those things. And we did all this stuff. But I'll never forget at the funeral, the person asked me to, um, close the casket. And I don't know why people ask like the family, a family member to close the casket. That's a really difficult thing to do. At least, at least in my opinion, mm-hmm. because I remember mm-hmm. when I closed it, it was the physical part wasn't hard. It was the symbolic part of me feeling then because up to that point I had not cried. I had not mourned. But at that moment, it was closing that opportunity of getting his validation. Like it all hit me at one time. Yeah. I can see that. And what that did, I always say people act out in different ways. My version was a- of acting out was not overperforming. I had to be good at anything I did at that point because I needed to validate myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I didn't mm-hmm. get from him, I needed to get in other ways. So my performance, if you ask me, for a while was for the wrong reasons. And you know, my encouragement for other people is to ensure that whatever you're doing, do it because you're aligned to the right things. True. But wouldn't you argue that at the same time that, you know, you turn like an advantage, uh, an advantage situation, you really made it work for yes, you. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's, I, I mean, I don't see necessarily not a line. I think you took You did something very powerful, you know, that we hear in all the motivational speech and you're a motivational speaker. It's like you we know life is not easy, but if something really bad happens to you, you can make something good happen out of that. And I mean, your story, it's it's amazing because it has a lot of challenges, you know, and if you see your bio and all that, you say you sound so successful. So, you know, aligned with with a higher awareness, but you, you have a lot of things you dealt with growing up that are not, you know, standard. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Totally so, I mean, um, I, I think it's always, uh, even more powerful when coming from something like that, you hear this story, but I can, I can believe that also that assurance from your dad is always something that, that is hard to forget, right? That you did not get that encouragement or that support from your father before passing. Yep. Yep. But it was a good, good lesson, you know, years later, such a good lesson because some of it, quite honestly, I think sometimes we focus on, depending on our makeup, we focus on only hearing the critical message and may miss the encouragement we are getting. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And I'm sure you're a fantastic dad because I've heard these kind of stories before and people say, you know what, I learned what I 
didn't yeah. want to be or these aspects <laughs> of parenting that I don't want to be. And, and I see some great parents just because of, of, the, of the experience they had growing Absolutely. up. Absolutely. I hope so. <laughs> that well that's no I'm sh- I'm I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and so and then I mean you had this corporate experience and then you went on and you founded the Corelink solution. I definitely want us to talk about that because that's really where you're helping people make a change and and embrace their why and a higher purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, and we we founded it years ago. Uh I would say in the 2000s. Uh it had a different name at the time. And the idea was how do we, again, do community revitalization by empowering people to reach their potential. And at that time, you know, growing up in North Philadelphia, you know, a lot of times what you saw was people who believed their only way out was to either, you know, either you were a sports person or a musician, right? That that seemed like the only way out. Education and things like that didn't weren't, weren't that common for folks. And having had the journey I had, one of the things was people would say to you, well, you're special, right? Like you, you're different. You made it. And I go, well, special is not scalable. There has to be a repeatable process that people can actually, you know, do this and make it. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the public schools uh, weren't churning out people in, in volume. At least people didn't see it that way. And so my my thing was, you know, how, how can we create this this pathway, right? How can we create this belief system? How can we invest in people, so on and so forth? And that that kind of birthed um, the the um, our, our nonprofit, which is a faith based nonprofit. And so uh, we were doing that for a number of years, part time. And then um, as I got more and more involved in mentoring inside of J.P. Morgan Chase and then Allstate. I started taking notes. It's the most interesting thing, Letitia. I never, never wanted to be a book author, uh, author right? It, it was by accident. I'm mentoring people and I'm taking these copious notes because I'm scared I'm going to be given <laughs> different advice. So I want to mm-hmm. make sure I'm staying aligned with the advice. And next thing you know, I've got like this 60 page Word document because I have these different points of advice around different topics. And then I'm weaving in my story with it and I'm talking to a friend. He's like, hey, I think that's a book. And I go, no, it's not a book. It's just, just a lot of advice and notes. He's like, no, I think it's a book. So he introduces me to a book coach and she's like, that's a book. I said, no, it's not a book. It's a lot of notes. And she said, do you mind if I introduce you to a, um, an agent? Sure. Introduces me to the agent. He said, for sure, it's a book. You mind if I pitch it? I said, fine. So we put some things together and he came back to me like two weeks later with two book deals. I said, wow. okay. <laughs> that's yeah. Amazing. And now of course, right. What you think is done is not nearly done. Cause once you do, you know, once you do the deal, they tell you all the stuff you need to do to turn it into a real book. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was great to, to go through the process and I learned a lot through the process, but that just furthered my desire to then take those six promises and more, you know, formalize them and put them into something. So then we were able to take those six promises and not only have them in the book, but then with the help of an instructional designer, create a workbook and then a full-fledged um, curriculum, if you will, that as a part of the nonprofit, we help deploy to people. So whether you are an individual that wants to take the book and the workbook and do your own thing through our online course, or if you're a facilitator, a teacher, educator, you can take our curriculum along with the facilitator's guide and deliver it in class. And that's what that's a big part of what we do as a nonprofit on one side of our nonprofit. Wow, that's great. And I mean, you guys, I, I'm going to put all the info that you have to and, and resources at the Corelink solution in the show notes. But I was as, as I was preparing for this interview, I was uh, reading into those six promises 
And, and, you know, I'm going to read them very quickly. It's uh, number one, embrace your passion. Number two, perform to progress versus perfection. Number three, promote with purpose. Four, parlay your platform. Number five, put it into action. And number six, practice philanthropy. I mean, how powerful are these promises? It's amazing. Like you, you, you had shrunk, you know, a call to action to create change in a, in a masterful way. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's really exciting. And I think I had an interview not too long ago with someone uh, focusing on the engineering side of things. And we were talking about soft skills. And, and I don't even know if these, these are not maybe soft skills, but are things that we, we should all be thinking yes. of. Yes. Yeah. And, and we don't do it enough. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's such a good point. You know, I was talking with someone um, a couple of podcast episodes ago who says, you know, they don't like to use the word soft skills anymore. And I said, I get it. And and I guess they're, they're transferable skills, right? Because soft skills are now, I guess, hard skills. But more importantly, I, I like to think of transferable skills. And to your point, skills we often don't talk about enough because we think about the latest the latest skill that's most talked about. So now if it's some technical skill, right, or some programming language, that's what's talked about. But these skills to me are the things that help you build a sense of who you are, help you build a sense of direction, help you build more resilience, accountability, ownership, how to establish community, how to build network, mentorship, sponsorship, and those things that will, as you establish direction and establish momentum, keep that going and help you overcome the hurdles and deal with the peaks and the valleys to keep going. And those things to me are um, just fundamental. You have to have those things regardless of what career path that you choose. Hmm, interesting. And also, wouldn't you agree that, that some people, um, like, for example, me doing this podcast, that's something that I embrace as a passion, but not even like with your book, I never thought I want to be on radio or I have not, not nothing at all. I, I just felt the need to, to pass on the inspiration because, you know, every conversation I had, I had someone saying, oh my God, after we chatted, I did this and, and it had a positive impact or something like that. And I say, maybe we can put the message out there in stories like yours so that people get, you know, encouraged to, to just do something different and, and try action. And by what you're saying, you're doing, you did the same thing. You found ways. You wanted to be a DJ. You wanted to be in radio and you have your own podcast and the Corling Solution has their own podcast that I invite everybody to check out because it's also very uh, amazing stories, very aligned with uh, with uh, our mission here at Back to Basics. So, in a way, you're really fulfilling that vision. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and working on the uh, the next evolution of that constantly. <laughs> and 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 that's great. And 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 the funny thing is, you went and 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 ended up with a book, and I'm sure it's not going to be the, the 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 last one. I ended up with a book almost for the same mm. reasons by doing things that I normally do in my day to day with those whatever soft skills or things we try to incorporate that eventually lead you to ending up with valuable information or content that you want to share. Yes, that's so good. So, yeah, it's so empowering. So right? good. Absolutely. And I always tell anybody listening out there, it's like, I, I talk to so many people, oh, I have a book idea. Well, go write it. I'm not a writer. You know, like we convince ourselves yeah. that we are, we cannot do it rather than say, oh, well, if he did it and she did it, I can do it too. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everything looks like a mountain until you start taking a few steps, right? 
Absolutely. And so, and you never stop getting inspired. Like just by talking to you, I'm going to have a better day today because, you know, it's so inspiring what you achieved and, and, and what you're doing that it doesn't make you feel alone. You know, you say, okay, I'm, I'm not that crazy. I, other people see what I'm seeing too. Exactly. And that's very empowering. And so, so tell me, obviously, uh, I, I want to ask this, is this what you're doing right now? What, what makes you take, what makes you passionate, what, what you're passionate about, or there are any aspects of, of you that, that also drive you in terms of your why and your passion and your purpose? Yeah, no, this is it. I mean, for me in a nutshell, helping people live on purpose is what I'm about. That, that's me. That's what I feel I, I was created for. I, I believe that we're all created with gifts and talents and have a purpose. <laughs> and my purpose is helping people live on purpose. And to me, that's a double entendre, right? Uh, live on purpose is, you know, one, being intentional about how you live. And then two, the second part of, of purpose is being on your track to what you were created to do. And oftentimes what I find is in that first promise, right, helping people embrace their passion, Oftentimes, there's one or two things that happen when we do what I like to call a passion inquiry of trying to find out, you know, what people's passion is or, or their purpose is. You know, one, either they haven't taken the time to kind of figure out what it is, right? Because they feel like they have to jump into this stream of, you know, what is expected, quote unquote, in society. And so they don't even take the time to figure it out. Or two, they know what it is, but it's like underneath like, you know, mounds and mounds and mounds of dirt. And they haven't looked at it for years, right? Because they were told that they can't do it. You can't go after it. It's not realistic. And so we have to kind of excavate it and pull it back up to the surface and kind of cross this barrier belief that what they can do day to day or even sometimes, part-time, sometime, anytime is mutually exclusive from the rest of their life. Why, why can't you have some of that? If, that? if that releases endorphins, makes you feel better, um, brings happiness, brings joy. And by the way, it could bring some extra scratch and income. Why shouldn't that be in some part of your life? Um, so that's, that's my purpose. Well, that's very powerful and really aligned with a question I ask. I've asked several people this, but you, you are like a perfect candidate for it, for what you just said is how do people move away? I totally agree with what you just said. And the main blockage is, you know, I cannot pay my bills pursuing my passion. How do we move away from that? I think you have to, one, understand how you got to that point of belief. Who gave you that belief? Can you find other folks who do do it today, right? And, and look at that. A lot, a lot of times we want to frame a reference, something to look at to say it's happened before. I think that's a part of our human psyche, part one. Part two, if it hasn't happened before, that is also a good thing too, right? Because things that are breakthrough moments have the best opportunities in terms of creating something new. Part three, are you willing to unlearn, right? And part four, experimentation. Try it on a small scale. Give it a shot. That's why I say sometime. Don't even start, don't, don't even say part-time because as soon as you think part-time, we say 20 hours a week. Don't even, don't even start with part-time. Start with sometime. Are you willing to do it an hour a week, two hours? If it gives you some joy, then you start to do more of it. And all you have to do is think about it this way. If you do it a couple hours a week and then you're able to monetize it for five or $10, if you're happy, continue to be happy. If you want more happy, get more happy. As that dollar amount increases and starts to challenge your regular income, 
you decide when you want to continue to pivot over, right? And let it dominate and become your full-time income. That's a decision point, but allow it to exist, allow it to grow. Wow. I think you just proved that my case on having you as a, as a guest on Back to Basics. I think that's going to be very, very useful to people listening. And, uh, you know, I, I again, I invite everybody to go check the corelinksolution.com and that's tons of resources. I know that, uh, that, that you can contact James. I think your contact information is in there. Absolutely. Anybody needs that extra push because you, you, you really are very inspirational. There's, uh, some speeches he's given that I'm going to share also on the show notes so that you, you get your call to action and, and hopefully, um, try to, to make the changes you need. So, um, James, as a closing note, I want to leave you, uh, you know, an open microphone in this podcast. I know you have your own, so <laughs> you send a <laughs> message, but to my audience, anything else you want to share, anything interesting in the future, anything. No, the only thing I would say, one, is thank thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to join your podcast. I love what you're doing. I love the concept of Back to Basics. And then, two, for your audience, stay tuned to what Letitia is doing here. It's such a powerful concept. Believe that you can do what you are created to do. You know, if you dial into what you're created to do, you can't, you can't lose, right? A hammer is created to do a certain thing. A screwdriver is created to do a certain thing. Pliers are created to do a certain thing. If you understand what your thing is and dial into it, you cannot be stopped if you keep faith in front of you and you continue to put action behind your faith. Wow. Thank you so much, James. Uh, the whole Back to Basics audience, I'm sure is going to appreciate that that inspiration as I am appreciating it too. And, and I'm a big fan and follower of what you're doing as well. So thank you so much for your time and for being here. Thank you. And until the next time. 